greatest evangelist. And did anybody try to pry it out of my family? No. Does anybody, did anybody give some thought to it? Think you might know. No, Miss Rose, you can't answer. Yes, ma'am. Okay, that could be. The world has yet to see. Somebody told D.L. Moody what a man completely yielded to the Holy Spirit can do. And he turned around and said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. And he shook two continents for the Lord. And I'll tell you this, as much as D.L. Moody did, the world has yet to see what a man fully yielded to the Holy Spirit can do. All right, so that's a good answer. All right, anyone else? Brother Andy. Yes, I know, because you already heard about this. All right, turn in the book of Jonah, chapter number 1. And I know when we're sitting here thinking about Jonah, we're thinking, boy, that doesn't really make sense. Jonah kind of strikes me as a failure in ministry. But the truth of the matter is, and we all understand, that were it not for God's power on Jonah, obviously he would not have been able to do what he did in preaching and the uh, city uh, coming to Christ, uh, coming returning to the Lord. But uh, I do want to say this. There is no other person in the history of mankind that, that I am aware of that has preached and an entire nation, an entire city of what could have been as many as a million and a half people, the entire city came to Christ. And uh, I know that we could argue and say, well, Christ during his earthly ministry was a great evangelist. Peter was a great evangelist when he got up to preach at Pentecost and thousands of people were saved. But when Jonah preached, million, a million and plus were saved, or at least had, had come to a place of repentance toward God. And uh, to me, Jonah is the greatest evangelist in Scripture that we read about, and yet he's probably one of the most underrated people. Now, this excites me, because as we're going to see tonight, Jonah was just an ordinary fellow who had an extraordinary God. And uh, it, it ought to give us hope that God can use us in extraordinary ways. It doesn't matter how ordinary we are and how little our talents may be. If we allow God to use us and to be a vessel to be used by Him, it literally is unlimited what God can do in us and through us. We look at Keith Heights Baptist Church and we're praying for uh, the future and for what God would have for us in the men's prayer meeting tonight. Brother Everett was praying for the future of the church and for decisions that need to be made and, and wisdom regarding expansion and, and reaching our community with the gospel. And, and uh, the truth of the matter is we think too little. Uh, no matter how big you may think, you say, well, uh, brother, uh, brother Greg and Brother uh, Randy was talking about a building that may cost a half a million dollars. I'll tell you right now, I think, I think we think too little. Because God can do great things exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or even think, according to the power that worketh in us. We usually leave that last part of the verse out. But let's look in the book of Jonah tonight and see what it is about Jonah that ought to help us in our lives. And again, we just want to look at the verses and pull some truth from it. That will be a help to us tonight. We're going to begin in chapter 1. And uh, somebody said that it's always good to start in the beginning. And uh, because if you start in the middle, by the time you're halfway through, you're at the end, and that doesn't do any well, any good for us. So we're going to start at the beginning of the book, and uh, hopefully we'll get through the whole book uh, before midnight tonight. Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, 
saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarsus from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarsus. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. When the mariners were afraid, then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Father, we pray now that you'll bless the message and speak to our hearts. Lord, if ever there was a day that we need great evangelists, it's today. And Lord, I pray that you would help to raise up out of this church men and women, young people that have such a heart and a passion for you and for those that are lost, that we would do all that we can to seek for your power in ministry and in service. And Father, we pray that you would help us to not be guilty of powerless service but that as we work and as we labor for Thee, that we would have Your power upon us and that we would see the heavens opened and Your power at work in our lives as we reach people with the gospel. Lord, I pray that as we get to heaven one day, we will see many folks who are there because of the influence and the privilege that You have given to us to share the gospel with them. I pray that you would help us to be able to rejoice in eternity for those that we've been able to take with us to heaven. And I pray that you would help there to be a desire in the hearts of everyone that's here tonight. Lord, this is our Sunday night crowd. This is the core group. This is the group that uh, are, are there every time the doors are open. And Lord, we pray that you would help to raise out of this group some men and some women that know what it is to uh, yield completely and wholly to the leading of your Holy Spirit, to follow it wholeheartedly and to sit back and see what you can do in their lives. So, Father, bless the message tonight and speak to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit do His work and may your Word do its work. Help us to know and to understand clearly the passages and the truth tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This past week we commemorated and spent some time memorializing many of the folks that were lost uh, on September 11th, 2001, probably one of the dark days of the United States. Some people say the darkest days, but I know that there's a generation before mine that can remember Pearl Harbor and how dark of a day that was and other dark days in the nation that we have experienced over the history of our country. The first year after 
9-11 took place, I was listening to a radio broadcast, and it was a Christian radio station, and there was a lady that was being interviewed that was one of the survivors from the World Trade Center. She had been somewhere around the 34th floor, somewhere on that in that range, and she was telling of the, uh, the experience of that day and uh, how she had evacuated the building and they were getting them to go down the stairs. And as she was talking to the fellow who was interviewing her, she said, we got down to the, the bottom floor and uh, we went running toward a, an entire bank of glass doors. There was a large uh, bank of glass doors on the bottom floor of the World Trade Center that opened out onto the street. And that's where most people entered and left during the day. And she said, as we as a group were running toward the doors, there was a policeman that was there stopping us and sending us back the other way and saying, you can't go out this way. The doors were blocked. And as she looked past him toward the doors, she saw that there was debris that was up almost to the top of the doors and it, was been, it would have been impossible to open those doors. And she expressed uh, some of the things that she saw in that debris and how there were uh, uh, dead bodies that were piled up there on the door as well of folks that had already lost their lives. And they went up to a, a few levels to another level that opened up into, the, into a, an, a, an elevated train level or another street level. And they were able to get to a door where it was not blocked, and they were able to go out onto the street. And uh, there was another uh, firefighter or policeman that was standing there, and they were letting people only go as they could. And he said, when you get a moment that you don't, you don't see the debris falling as quickly, if you think you can make it, take off running. And she said, I stood there for a few moments, and it seemed like the debris that was falling from the building was lightning and and uh, kind of getting a little less than it was. And she said, I thought I could make it, so I took off running. And she said, as I took off running, I realized I was going to have to climb and scramble over piles of debris that had fallen off the building. And it's very difficult going as she was climbing over these things. She said, somewhere along the way, and when she got to the top of one of the piles, she looked over beside her and she saw another man that was also scrambling on a pile next to her. And she looked at him and saw that he had been burned from head to toe with probably some fuel that had fallen and some things that had come off the building. And he was burned so badly that his eyes were blinded and he was not able to see and he was scrambling trying to get away from all the stuff that was going on there. And she began to tear up as she told the story and she said, I watched as the man was not running away from the building, but without knowing it, he was running toward the building. And she said, in all the debris and commotion and noise, she said, I turned to him and she said, I hollered as loud as I could, sir, you're going the wrong way. And she said, the man couldn't hear. She said, I don't know if it was the noise or if he had been burned so badly that he could not hear any longer. She said, I watched in horror as he began to run back towards the building. And she, to this day, does not know what happened to him, whether he was one of the victims or not of that day. But I thought of that as I listened to that story that day and tears streaming down my face as I thought of the unbelievable ordeal that these folks must have had to go through and to endure. And I thought the truth of the matter is our country and our nation spiritually is going the wrong way. And they are blind. And they are heading headlong towards destruction. And somewhere along the line, God's people have got to get a burden for them and to cry out with sympathy and with compassion. Folks, you're going the wrong way. 
We live in a society that tells us, no, don't, don't say that. You might offend them. You might hurt their feelings. And the truth of the matter is, the fellow that was on that debris pile next to her that day, I'm certain, would not have been worried about his feelings being hurt for her to tell him he's going the wrong way. I think that man would have been very grateful in hindsight looking to her saying, thank you for coming over and helping me find the way. And while there may be folks that we come in contact with every day of our lives that are going the wrong way, that may be offended if we tell them that, listen, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn to Christ. He's the right way. I'm sure that if they ever come to the place of realization of the destruction that they were going toward and how that God saved their soul, they would be eternally grateful for the one who would come to them and say, you're going the wrong way. In our passage tonight, we hear of a great city. The Bible refers to it as such, that it is a great city. A city with millions of eternal souls. They had turned from God and they were headed toward destruction and they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. But God had compassion on the city of Nineveh. And I'm thankful tonight that God still has compassion on the United States of America. Because the truth of the matter is, in the Bible, we find that God has destroyed cities and countries for less than what our country has been guilty of. We look at the millions of babies that have been slaughtered, innocent blood that has been shed. We see the blasphemy that is every day rampant in our country toward a holy God. We see it even in our politics, and we see it in our societies. But for the grace of God, America would join those countries. And I believe if America does not turn from its ways, it will not be long before God will bring great judgment on America. Brother Ron alluded this morning to the great flooding out in Colorado and some of the horrific uh, natural things that we've had in the recent years. New York City, uh, New Orleans, Miami, some of the great centers of, of populations in America. But God still has compassion on us. And I think that personally, it is only because of the remnant of the righteous in America that God has stayed His hand of judgment from us more than He has. I want you to notice that God comes to a young man by the name of Jonah. We don't know a whole lot about Jonah prior to this. We do know this, that he was basically an ordinary man. There's nothing extraordinary about him. And God comes to him and he says, Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and I want you to declare that they need to repent from their evil ways. Now, I don't know about you, but if uh, we read this story, we like to think, boy, poor Jonah, he ran from the Lord. Boy, if I'd been there, I'd have been the Lord, I'd do, I'd do this for you. But the truth of the matter is, you and I would have been just as scared as Jonah was. I would like to think that I love the Lord and I love people enough that I would have gone willingly. But the truth of the matter is, until I was put in a situation like Jonah, I'm not sure how I would have responded. Perhaps the same way as Jonah. Jonah, three different times, the Bible says here in chapter number 1, as we've read our text tonight, three different times the Bible refers to the fact that Jonah was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And by the way, whenever we refrain from doing God's work, we draw away from the Lord and we flee from His presence. Because God is always present in His work. 
God is always there. When a work is needing to be done, God is always in the midst of it. And it is only by Him that the work is accomplished. And when we flee from the work, we flee from His presence. Three different times it speaks of Jonah, once in verse, or twice in verse number 3 and once in verse number 10. And we find Jonah here at the onset of the book as a man, if we were to take a snapshot of his spiritual condition, we would find him as a man who is fraught with frailty, failure, fear, lack of faith. We would look at this man, and if he was a member of our church today, we'd say, boy, he's one of the backslidden ones, Pastor. He's one of the, he's one of the, he's one of the, uh, the, the carnal ones. We'd come to Brother Randy and say, Brother Randy, you need to deal with this fellow. He, he's, just not, he's just not what he should be for the Lord. That's what we'd be looking at. Jonah was nothing special. But I will say this, that when the men cast the lots and the lot fell to Jonah, and by the way, that wasn't by chance. I think when you cast lots for a purpose of game, that's chance. But when God's involved in it, there's no chance in that. And the lot fell to Jonah and the men began to inquire of him. Where are you from? What do you do? Why is this happening to us? And Jonah said, I serve the God that controls the sea, that created the sea, that created the wind and controls the wind. And he said, I serve that God. And the Bible says that the men were afraid because of this. Look with me in verse number 10. The Bible says, Then were the men exceeding afraid, exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. And please don't miss this. Every word of Scripture is there by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and are there to teach us something. Because he had told them. You think that phrase is important in this verse? Oh, absolutely. Not only was Jonah running from the presence of the Lord, but he was being defiant about it. He didn't care who knew. He was going around bragging about it. He had told these men, hey, God wanted me to go to Nineveh, but hey, I'm going to go down here to Tarsus. You know, hey, I, I serve the God that made the sea, and I serve the God that made the wind, but you know what, hey... I'm not going to do what he says. I'm my own man. And by the way, we live in a world and a society that is overrun by people who are their own man. And what we need are some people who will say, Lord, I'm not my own man. I'm your man. I want to be used of you in a special way. But Jonah was very bold in his sin. And by the way, if we ever get to a point where we become bold in our sin, we ought to get on our faces before God and say, Lord, break me once again. And by the way, if somebody ever comes to us and says, Brother, let me pray with you, there's an issue. We ought to thank God for a brother that's concerned enough about our spiritual condition. People respond to the correcting and to the prodding of the Holy Spirit in several ways. Some of them are apathetic towards it. They don't care if the Holy Spirit brings conviction. They don't care if a brother or sister comes to them in the right frame of mind, in the right spirit to try to be a help and a blessing to them spiritually. Some of them come with arrogance. They respond to it and say, well, who in the world do you think you are to tell me I'm wrong? But then there are some who come with humility and say, thank you, my dear brother, for pointing that out to me. God and I need to do some business on this and we need to get it right with the Lord. By the way, that's the way a Christian ought to respond to the convicting of the Holy Spirit. 
I used to teach young people all the time, we should never wait till the invitation time to make a decision for the Lord. Our decision should be made before we ever set foot in the church service. That, Lord, if you'll show me your truth, I will walk in it. My spirit is willing that whatever you show, whatever you give in my life, my answer is already yes, Lord, because I certainly don't want to be apathetic to it. And I certainly don't want to be arrogant to it. But I want to be humble to it. I want to be sensitive to it. Jonah was not a man that was sensitive to it, and so God had to get his attention. Some of you that grew up in the generation before mine know what it is to have parents who knew how to get our attention. Amen? My mom and dad knew how to get my attention. And uh, some of my kids think sometimes that my wife and I know how to get their, get their attention, but the truth of the matter is they, they haven't seen anything compared to what our parents did to us. I mean, we're, I, I could tell you there, there were times that uh, we had whoopings that were very memorable. And it was the memorable ones that kind of held us over during the unmemorable ones. And so we changed the way we said them. The ones that were not memorable were whippings. The ones that were memorable were called whoopings. And there was a big difference. The whippings, there was a nice target. It was done very orderly. The whoopings, there was no target. And the faster we ran, the harder they hit. And I'll tell you, they knew how to get our attention. Can I tell you this? God knows how to get His children's attention. But He doesn't want to do it that way. He wants His children to come to Him willingly and to say, Yes, Lord. When God came to Abraham and He said, Abraham! Before God ever told Abraham what to do, Abraham said, Here am I. Lord, whatever it is, my answer is already yes. When God called Samuel and he called him three different times, and Eli finally said, the next time he calls, say, Speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And God called Samuel. Samuel said, Here am I, speak, Lord. Isaiah 53, the Lord is speaking. He said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, Then said I, Here am I. Send me. Oh, that we would have a generation of Christians in America that would say, Lord, before you ever show me your truth, my answer is already yes. Yes, Lord. Jonah was not such a man as we pick up in verse number 12 of chapter 1. He said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so that the sea may be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. By the way, isn't it amazing how often men try to go against God's way, even when they know what it is? God put it this way when He was trying to get a hold of Saul's heart. Saul, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Jonah comes to these men. He said, listen, I serve the God that made the sea, that made the wind. Here's what you got to do. you got to throw me overboard. And the Bible says they didn't do it. They knew what God demanded and they didn't do it. How hard their life had become. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Doesn't matter if it pleased them or not. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. By the way, if we ever saw God work that way, it would cause us to sober up a little bit too, wouldn't it? Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The chapter divisions were not there originally when the book was written. They're there for our benefit to help find things easier and to organize the passage. The continuation of the story, as the statement is made that he was in the belly of this great fish for three days and three nights, is that then... You see that little four-letter word? Very, very important word. If you have a pen, you ought to underline it. Don't miss it. Then, Jonah prayed unto the Lord. Can I help you with something tonight? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if before God had to get a hold of our attention, we would come to Him in prayer? Why, does it, why do we wait so often until then we go to Him in prayer? After He's beat us across the head, after He's given us that spiritual whooping, then we go to Him in prayer. Well, the problems come, and Brother Greg, I'll tell you, you've you never seen problems like I've got. I started praying to God. Well, why didn't we do that before the problem came? Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. And let me tell you something, this is not the arrogant Jonah. This is not the Jonah that we see in chapter number 1 who's bold about his sin, who's going around telling folks that he was running from the presence of the Lord. But this is now a humbled Jonah. He's a man of great prayer and great earnestness. And by the way, I don't know about you, but if I found myself in the belly of a whale, I'd be pretty earnest in prayer too. I don't think God would have to tell me to be effectually fervent in my praying. I think it would be without question something already on my heart and on my mind. Isn't it amazing how when the deepest trials of life come, we go to God in agony of spirit and we learn how to get a hold of the throne of God. And by the way, that ought to be where we live. And then when the issue is over and the problem is solved, we get away from that and we no longer cling to the throne of God. <clears throat> when Charles Finney was doing some of his greatest evangelistic work, at one time he did an, uh, an evangel evangelical crusade in uh, New York. It lasted for six weeks. And over 100,000 people trusted Christ as their Savior in that six-week period. Brother Finney knew what it was to have great response. And he was one of the ones who, as he would walk into a city, bars would close down. As he walked through some factories, people would begin crying out as he would walk through the factory because the power of God was so strong on him. I was told of one story of him walking into a factory, a textile factory, speaking to the owner of using his building for a meeting. And while he walked through them, he said he fastened his gaze on someone, and by simply looking at them, they were under such conviction that they grabbed a hold of the pillar and began weeping and begging for God to save them. This is a man who has such power in his ministry. But what most people do not realize is that there were two men, a man who was known as Father Nash and a man by the name of Abel Clary, 
And these two men would go before Finney into a city that he was going to be doing a revival sometimes six or eight weeks before, and they would rent an apartment or a building or some kind of room, and they would give themselves to agony and prayer. They would pray literally for hours upon end to the point where there are times when they could not even pick themselves up off of the floor from where they were praying because of the weakness physically that they had in prayer. Daniel Nash was known for walking into the revival services, which he very rarely attended as he spent time praying while the preaching was going on. And he would walk in sometimes into a service and he would say, he's not here. And he would turn around and go back to his prayer closet. And he would do that two or three or four times. And finally he would walk in and he would say, he's here. And that night, that very night, God would open up the windows of heaven and men would begin getting saved and repenting. And Finney said in his own words, I've never known Nash to be mistaken. But can I say this? Those two men knew what it was to give themselves in fervent prayer. Their ministry was praying. I'm not saying we've got to fall on our faces and spend 12 hours with no food and nothing to sustain us in prayer. But could we be more fervent in prayer in our daily lives? What would happen in a year's time if we doubled the amount of time we spend in prayer every day? Do you think God would double the blessings? Do you think God's power would be more apparent and evident in our lives? Jonah, the Bible says in chapter 2, then prayed unto the Lord. Let's not wait until the then. And he said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I. And thou heardest my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep. In the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to, my, even to the soul. The depth closed round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Well, of course, Jonah, you're in the belly of a whale. God puts you there. What else are you going to pray? He's promising everything he can promise to God. The Bible says he came to God out of a heart of thanksgiving. We find as we get to verse number, chapter number 3, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Could you underline that passage if you're used to underlining in your Bible? Aren't you glad that God comes to us a second time? There are times that God's come to me and He said, Greg, I need this done. And I've, for whatever reason, said, I don't think I can do that, Lord. But He doesn't give up. He came to Jonah the second time. Jonah, I'm not through with you. You might have been shipwrecked. You might have been through that hurricane I sent. You might be in the belly of the well with seaweed wrapped all around your head. But I'm not through with you, Jonah. 
And I'm glad we serve a God that comes to us a second time. Saying, Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city. By the way, did you notice God didn't change His plan? It was the same the second time as it was the first. Wouldn't it have been a whole lot better for Jonah if he would just done it the first time? He needed to learn something, though, didn't he? He preached unto the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. His obedience to God. He preached the word, the Bible says in verse number 2, that God bid him to preach. So we have God's man with God's message and God's mission. And we're going to see great revival come. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Now some people interpret this verse differently. It doesn't matter to me. I personally believe that it means that the city was so big it would take three days to go across it. Sixty miles roughly. Twenty days was a day's journey. Twenty miles was a day's journey. Or it could mean that it was sixty miles away. Some people like to think it was 60 miles away, and that's fine. When we get to heaven, we'll realize what it was. Either way, it's miraculous what takes place here. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey after one day. You think Jonah was running? I think he hit the ground running. I don't think he stopped to look back. And he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh, what's the next word? Believed God. And proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. Here we find the revived, the rejuvenated, the resolved Jonah. This man is is certainly on fire for God, isn't he? He has a purpose. He has God's direction. He has God's plan. He comes to the nation of Nineveh and he preaches the message God has for him. And we find that God brings the nation of Nineveh, the city of Nineveh, to great humility, repentance, in sackcloth and ashes. And he caused it, verse number 7, to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? The king of Nineveh didn't want just the people fasting. He even wanted the animals fasting. And when they began to fast, he said, we don't know. God may continue to bring judgment regardless. But there is a chance if we would repent and humble ourselves that God would repent of His judgment. That we perish not. Can I tell you this? If we were to get on fire and begin preaching the gospel boldly to the United States of America, God, perchance, could stay His hand of judgment a little longer. He may not. It's up to him to do. It's his will. But could it bring some humility to the nation of the United States? Would it cause some to come to Christ and say, I need to surrender my life to him. I need to yield myself to him. I need to put my trust in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ.
God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them and He did it not. Now this is how I know that Jonah was no, no special thing. He was just an ordinary man. He had the same ordinary feelings that you and I have. Because Nineveh repented, here's a wicked, wicked, ungodly city that has now turned to the Lord. Well, we could rejoice in that, couldn't we? A wicked country that has now turned to God and now has God as their goal and they've humbled themselves and they've repented of their sin. Oh, what joy there is in the camp, isn't there? Well, no, not really. Because the Bible says, as we get to chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was very angry. Now, I don't know exactly why God or why Jonah was angry, but I'll tell you two reasons why I think. Number one, it is human nature to wish bad on folks who have done bad. Jonah, I think, wanted to see God's judgment on Nineveh for their wickedness. That was his human nature coming out. I think the other reason he was mad was because here he had gone, proclaimed as the man of God, Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. You better repent. Judgment's coming. And then judgment didn't come. And I think his pride was hurt. By the way, have you ever thought of this? There are six things the Bible says that God hates, yea, seven are an abomination. And there are certainly some bad ones on the list. But you know what the very top one is? The very first one on the list. It's a proud look. Well, we get mad about the homosexual movement. We get mad about abortion. Why don't we get as mad about a proud look? It's an abomination to God. Why don't we take out billboards? This is an abomination to God, a proud look. God has said, yea, seven things are an abomination, a proud look. Isn't it amazing how the greatest sins there are are the sins that other people have? They're not ours. My sins, they're not that bad, Brother Greg. In the sight of God, they're an abomination. Jonah, in his pride and his arrogance, whatever it was, was angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord comes back to Jonah and teaches him a valuable lesson. He puts him under a gourd, and the Bible said, Then said the Lord, Dost thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd that and made it, to come over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, and he fainted and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? 
And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. And Jonah never answers the question. God leaves him with a thought. Jonah, you're sad for the gourd because it died. Why aren't you sad for this great city of Nineveh that would have died under my judgment? We learn some amazing things about Jonah. Can I tell you that the entire message is this, and it's a single truth. I don't want you to miss it tonight. God can take an ordinary person and do extraordinary things with them. All we need to do is say, Lord, here am I. Send me. Here am I, send me. I don't want to have to wait for God to put me in a whale's belly. I don't want to have to wait until the trials come so bad that then I'm driven to my knees in prayer. I want to go on at the onset and say, Lord, whatever it is you have for me, my answer is already yes. I want to encourage you tonight here at Keitha Heights Baptist Church that we determine in our hearts tonight, if we've not already done so in our lives, God, our answer is already yes. Whatever the question is, whatever you ask of us, the answer is yes. And let's see God do some extraordinary things through ordinary people. Let's stand together with heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, what a joy it is to our hearts to see that even people that we look at like Jonah, who perhaps have as many faults as we have, were still used mightily of you to accomplish your work in this world. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that you would use these folks that are here tonight, that all of us would be willing to be used of you, that we would be able to say with a gladdened heart, Here am I, send me. I pray that you would help these folks to uh, be willing at the onset, whatever it is that you ask of us. And so, Father, we do pray that you bless the invitation. There, Perhaps there would be some here tonight, even though it's a Sunday night, and even though the message has not been primarily on salvation, there may be one in the room that you've been dealing with for some time now about being saved. If that's the case, I pray that during the invitation you would... Help them to have the courage and that the Holy Spirit would lead them to come forward, that we can deal with them from Scripture, that they can take the time tonight to pray and to uh, place their faith and trust in you this evening for their salvation. There may be mostly Christians, if not all Christians, in the room tonight, and I pray that you would help our hearts to be stirred afresh and anew, that we'd have renewed vision and renewed zeal of what you can do through our lives. Lord, we may be frail. We may have physical ailments. We may not be endued with great talent. But Lord, you can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I pray that you would help us to be willing.
that there would be some men and women and young people in this room that would yield themselves to you tonight and say, Lord, whatever it is you have for me, my answer is already yes. And Father, if there's some Christian that needs to come and make that commitment to you tonight, I pray that you would draw them during the invitation as well to make that decision. I pray that you will use this church in the days ahead to reach this community and to reach this state with the gospel, that we would see extraordinary things in the days ahead. We ask all this in the name of your precious Son. Amen.